0: Today here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth and Associates. Each week we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike
1: Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here with John Melvin, who is the Small Business Development Center Director at the Claremont County Chamber of Commerce. Before we get started, I'm going to tell everyone about a couple of upcoming Sandler events. We have the Sandler Client Summit coming up in February 14th and 15th in Orlando. The title of that second conference is No Guts, No Gain, How to Get Tougher in Sales, How to Become More Assertive, The Featured speaker will be the vice president and head of global sales for LinkedIn, and his name is Brian Frank. He's going to share with the group how LinkedIn utilizes their own platform to expand their brand and increase their own market share, which is indeed a good thing. First four Mondays in January here at Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, we're going to run a special Sandler program called Networking Works. Those will be four two-hour programs which will be open to uh, the general business community as well as Sandler President's Club members. If you're a President's Club member, make sure you speak to Carmen here at the office and reserve your your seat. If you have not joined Sandler's President's Club and you'd like to attend Networking Works to make your networking efforts more productive in 2013, call me or call Carmen on 513-753-9400, extension 106. At the end of January, we're going to have a cold call camp, which is an eight hour program on how to make cold calls, how to get by the gatekeeper, how to build three scripts for the contact, five ways to break other people's voicemail so they have to call you back, and then we'll actually be making cold calls to prove that everything we've taught in the first two thirds of the day is actually working. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about John. John is the director of the Small Business Development Center at the Claremont Chamber. John's a certified business advisor who works with entrepreneurs and business owners on starting and growing and sustaining their businesses. John, tell us a little bit more about what certified business advisor means.
2: Ten years ago, the state of Ohio decided to up the ante for the training for small business development centers and instituted a college-level program. That requires us to do 12 hours of college work in the classroom and then online work in order to receive our certified business advisor. And then we have to maintain that with 20 credit hours every year, which is more than doctors and lawyers and CPAs have to do.
1: Mm -hmm. How many uh, certified business advisors are there here in the Cincinnati market? In
2: the Cincinnati market, about a half dozen across the state, about 120.
1: Wow. That's great. Wouldn't the the state be a lot better off if we only had 120 uh,
2: lawyers? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to go there. Okay. Okay.
1: And let's see. John's first career before doing this was in the Insurance industry doing property and casualty business where he spent 26 years and the last 12 he was in a management role. Uh, John is a graduate of the Ohio University, that's out in Athens. Yes. Not to be confused with the one in Columbus, Ohio State. Right. And then he attended uh, George Washington University, that's at, in Washington, D.C., Washington, isn't it? D.C.? Yeah. and attended law school there. John served in the Air Force, Vietnam era, and yes, sir. has been with the Claremont Chamber. Since August of 2000, John has been recognized for his business advisor efforts, receiving the Ohio State Star Award and the National Association
2: of Small Business Development Centers
1: Conference and the Regional Service Excellence Award and the Innovation Center Award from the Small Business Administration. That's the national group. Yes. Good. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Small Business uh, Development Center at uh, Claremont County?
2: Well, the Small Business Development Center program is a national program that's been in place from the Small Business Administration for about 32 years. There's actually a sister program that's called SCORE, which is the Service Corps of Retired Executives. Both programs are sponsored by the Small Business Administration in order to assist entrepreneurs and with the ultimate goal of growing jobs and creating investment in the community. The Small Business Development Center program is in mostly chambers of commerce and universities, so there are about 1,100 across the United States, and most of the folks who work for the Small Business Development Center program are paid, whereas SCORE is mostly a volunteer program and generally located just in the major cities. But the two programs are both paid through taxpayer dollars and provide mostly free services for entrepreneurs to, as you indicated earlier, help them start, grow, and sustain their small businesses.
1: And the stated purpose of the the Small Business Administration for having these programs is to?
2: Is to create jobs and create investment in the community, because it's been recognized for many years that the small business entrepreneur is the backbone of economics in the United States. About 67% of all new jobs come out of small businesses. In fact, if we look at Fortune 500 companies, they haven't created a new job in over 15 years. So this is all about job creation and about investment back in the community.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, So in the last year, John, about how many companies have you worked with?
2: I see about 300 clients a year. About 25% of those are startups. About 75% are existing businesses, and we work with them in areas such as planning, whether that's strategic or operational. We work with them on financial analysis, marketing, human resource questions, sometimes loan packaging. And then there's a variety of other services out there that I don't directly provide, but they're offered through different government programs, whether that's international trade or procurement, which is getting government contracts. So there's related services out there that I can make referrals to if it's something that's outside my areas of expertise.
1: So, John, what are the most significant changes uh, that you've seen that help these small businesses become successful, generalized now, big picture?
2: The there's not been great changes. The the basics of small business have always been the same, and it's just getting folks to really focus on doing the basics well in order to be successful because a lot of folks want to jump ahead 10 spaces without touching the most important kind of foundational blocks first. So it's kind of like playing a game where – you want to be fortunate enough to draw the card that says move 10 spaces ahead. And in that process, you don't get the knowledge or the skills or the experience that you really need in order to be successful.
1: Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that uh, people tend to want to skip?
2: Well, the first thing is planning. I could pretty well tell you that most small businesses do not have a plan.
1: A strategic long-term plan for maybe as long as two years.
2: <laughs> any operational plan at all, if they have one and, and if they're seeking a loan, they're required to, to submit a plan in order to be considered for a loan. So if they have a plan, the tendency is to put the plan in the drawer and forget about it. So that would be one piece that's missing. The other piece that's very prevalent is financing that's on a shoestring. Mm-hmm. It's uh,
1: undercapitalization
2: undercapitalization number two reason a business has fails because they don't capitalize properly. And, and then the third and possibly the most egregious problem is that folks don't have the skill sets. They have a dream and it's often away from where they've been trained or, or where they have gained experience. And so when, Let's say Mike wants to start a, a business and all of his experiences in uh, marketing, all of a sudden he wants to start a restaurant. It's a fish out of water and doesn't work very well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to start a restaurant, John. That's good. Bad enough, we serve peanuts here.
2: <laughs> One of the most difficult businesses to succeed in.
1: Oh, it, it's terrible, but... Some of the franchisers are doing to people in the restaurant business.
2: Well, if you're going to to succeed, sometimes the franchise ideas can work. But if you don't have the basic skills, then you need to go out and get those first before you get involved in any business, especially the restaurant business.
1: Yeah, we had a client in the restaurant business back in California, and he knew the restaurant business as an employee and as general manager. But he didn't know enough about the restaurant business to make his place a success.
2: Um, One of the biggest challenges is when somebody says, Mike, you have a great barbecue sauce. I love your barbecue. And you get a big head about your barbecue sauce. And you think I can go out and start a barbecue business and be successful. And it's very difficult to make that leap.
1: Oh, yeah. The uh, barbecue business could be exceptionally tough. Two people have made it. but. Not many. What do you think, John, our market outlook looks like? It
2: looks to me that we're going to see 2013 slightly better than the last couple of years, but nothing dramatic. Mm-hmm. We have too many uncertainties that influence where we want to go with business and and some of the opportunities for success. And until those uncertainties are taken out of the equation and – The entrepreneur is really unleashed. It's hard to see big successes in 2013. Now, the economists say 2014 will be slightly better and 2015 will be slightly better, but we got to do 2013 first.
1: Mm -hmm. Are you hearing uh, reports of uh, CEOs and small businesses that they're looking to hire new people?
2: There are spots where people are very much in demand. Certain skill sets are highly in demand. Uh, welders have been in demand in the uh, in the marketplace for some time. Uh, some trained CNC operators are very much in demand. You're going to like this. Good salespeople are always in demand.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm hearing uh, reports every day. Uh, if I could hire five more great new salespeople, I could find the money to put them on payroll right away.
2: But... That's great new salespeople and not order takers.
1: It depends on what your business is. You know, there are businesses where the phone rings and they have to take the orders. There are all kinds of businesses, and there are other businesses where you have to go out and find the prospects, develop prospects, develop suspects into prospects, and then close the prospects. Uh, Different types of businesses require different types of people. Uh, not all salespeople are the same. Not all sales jobs are the same. Uh, do you put your people, small business uh, development center, through a strategic planning process to teach them how to build a strategic long-term plan?
2: If they're willing to do it, that's the first thing we try to work on.
1: Okay. Uh, what do you think uh, small people, small businesses are looking for right now? What is the biggest thing they ask you to help them with? Money. Finding money to start Finding
2: money. Money has been tight for four and a half years.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: There's nothing out there that says it's going to be any different tomorrow. And that's what holds a lot of entrepreneurs back, sometimes to their benefit because sometimes they're simply not ready and, and it would be a disaster for them if they did get money. But for most entrepreneurs – getting startup funds getting some type of financing um, just really is the is the biggest challenge for them.
3: Mhm.
1: Uh we've heard a lot recently about these uh, re- uh relaxed uh SEC requirements for uh uh funding. What do they call that group funding. Or crowd crowd funding. Yes, yes. Tell us tell our listeners a little bit about crowdfunding from your perspective.
2: Well, crowdfunding was in the uh, JOBS Act that came out last spring. And the idea was that there were some prohibitions that made it difficult for smaller investors to put their money into a business. And the idea was to assist the lending atmosphere by taking those restrictions away and allowing someone who wanted to start a business who or who already owned a business to actively solicit smaller investors, smaller being maybe ten thousand dollars, maybe twenty-five thousand dollars, so that if you needed a total of four hundred thousand dollars, you could accumulate a, a crowd of twenty five thousand dollar investors to get you to the four hundred thousand dollar mark. And the the guidelines said that within 120 days, the government would publish the new rules to allow crowdfunding. However, we are eight months past that law, and we still don't have the new rules. So crowdfunding is more of a paper uh, situation right now than a reality.
1: Hmm. I-, I was under the impression that some people in California were already doing
2: crowdfunding. Well, there are there are ways in certain businesses that they can do some crowdfunding and so they're kind of dancing around the edges of it. But the, of course the biggest issue and the reason that the SEC would be involved is to protect you as an investor so that you're not being scammed out of your ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand $25,000 and there has to be some guidelines or some rules both for the investor and for the business to to make that all really click together, and so far that's what's missing.
1: Mm-hmm. And you don't have any uh, idea when the feds are going to come up with those rules?
2: We're thinking springtime, but we don't have anything official yet.
1: Okay. Um, do you think businesses here in Cincinnati could be funded by this crowdfunding uh, vehicle?
2: Well, I think if it's properly established, businesses anywhere could be funded by crowdfunding. It would still be a small percentage because, and I certainly support the fact that everybody who wants to start a business is simply not ready for a variety of reasons Mm -hmm. and should not get funding and nor should an investor be involved with them. So we have to sort out the, the ones who are really well prepared who, who do have an opportunity for success. Keep in mind, Mike, that, uh, two out of three startup businesses fail within the first three years, so we have to try to limit the risk to to the investor and to the uh, to the business.
1: Sure, uh, John, I, I I I've heard recently uh, that uh, several uh, venture capital groups like Queen City Angels and uh, the uh, Inc- business incubator downtown. Both received uh, I think more than three three million dollars uh, in in funding. Will that help the small business community here or is that just going to support those groups?
2: Well, I think that it will help some businesses in our small business community. Most of those funds have been directed towards specific target industries, a lot of them being in technology. And if we look at recent success stories that Cincy Tech has talked about or that Queen City Angels and the other groups have talked about, they center around several different technology areas. So having more money coming into that part of the community will be a good thing. But it is, it should not be read that the types of small business that most of us see on a day-to-day basis are going to be able to get funding out of these groups. Because these groups, first of all, have a very narrow niche that they're seeking to to support. And most of them are looking for what we call second stage funding and not startup funding.
1: OK, so they're not going to help the, uh, the lady that wants to start a bakery. Absolutely not. Good. OK, John, we're going to take a, a short commercial break. And we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Company owners and sales managers, are you sick and tired of hiring a salesperson you think is Tom Cruise only to get Pee Wee Herman on the first day of the job? Call me, Mike Roth, 513-646-6523, to stop this from happening to you again. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are we hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is, they're salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. Company owners and sales managers, are you tired of cutting your price to get the deal? Wouldn't you like to have a better way? Wouldn't you want to improve your margins? Call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523 to see if there's a better way for you. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with John Melvin. Uh, John, I had an interesting question for you here. How do people find you at the Small Business Development Center?
2: It probably is the most difficult answer because the Small Business Administration is very specific in saying that the funding that we receive from them should not be spent on marketing. Mm -hmm. So the alignment with a good host, in my case, the Chamber of Commerce is really critical to being able to get the word out to the small business community. Now, When you've been around in the same marketplace for 12 and a half years, you build up a lot of relationships and those relationships, just like any other business, perform or provide most of the referral activity that we get. Some people do find us online at the different websites that are available from the state and federal government, but most of my clients are referrals either from other clients from attorneys, from CPAs, from bankers, or from some of the information that we put out through the Claremont Chamber of Commerce or some collaborations we have with the Anderson Area Chamber of Commerce or the Milford Chamber of Commerce or the University of Cincinnati Claremont College or those kind of places.
1: Okay. And um, do you have your own website independent of the chamber?
2: No, it's part of the chamber.
1: Okay, so you don't do any search engine optimization for a small business development center? No. Okay, if, if someone went on the SBA site, would the SBA site direct them to you if they said, hey, I'm in Claremont County?
2: Even if they were to say they are in areas around Claremont County, yes, it would. So would the state of Ohio site.
1: Okay, so you you have that kind of feedback. Is that is, is that helpful for you? Is that bringing in new?
2: That brings in people every day really yes mhm but the problem gets to be the small business owner who is not particularly tuned in to the marketplace in general one of the biggest challenges that small business owners have is time and they get so consumed with working in their business that they don't really step back and work on their business, and then when they have a major issue pop up, they haven't been out in that marketplace to to understand what services are available to them that might help them get out of it. And I can't really tell you the number of times I've had people come to me uh, and say, oh, I wish I'd have known about this service a year ago or two years ago, when I had this problem or that problem.
1: Can you give us an example of the problems?
2: Again, money is certainly one of the problems, but a lot of the times the problems are in managing their human resources or in managing the uh, competition or preparing for a business in a different world than they had when they first entered it. If they're not keeping up with Change, and you know most of us are not uh, overly fond of that C word um, but if they're not keeping up with change, all of a sudden they look up and the world has zipped on by, whether it's in using social media for marketing or whether it's in the competition now having a new service or a new process or. I've got a website that I put up five years ago. What do you mean it needs to be mobile-friendly? I don't even know what mobile-friendly is. And those are all real-world problems, mostly because people get stuck inside.
1: hmm So uh, does your group help them when they have a, an HR problem? Absolutely. How do you do that?
2: Well, first of all, I've had a lot of experience in human resources. I had 550 employees at one time. Mm-hmm and have had the benefit of a fair amount of uh, both training and experience. But if there's a situation that is well outside of my expertise, then we're going to bring in uh, HR experts to provide that information or assistance to
1: them. Okay. Uh, what's the most frequent area that uh, people are asking you for Consistence in besides finding money,
2: I think I got that point. <laughs> um, there's two probably. One is in startup, and a lot of folks just want to make sure I'm quote legal. And then the second for the existing business is marketing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: All aspects of marketing. Again, what we find, and I'm sure you find this from your experience. The tools that were useful in 2005 or 2008 or 2009 have ceased to be useful as the world has changed in 2012 or 2013.
1: Well, you know, it's it's kind of uh, cyclical, John. You know, I found that in 1992, direct mail worked. And, and now
2: direct mail is coming back.
1: Yes, it's it's come back. Um,
2: but there was a time when direct mail was... Dead. Dead.
1: And today, I think email marketing, email marketing, is almost a waste of time and money. Uh, because, uh, you know, you and I probably get a thousand emails a day. Seems like it. Yep. And you've, and we've developed, as smart business people, a very fast delete finger. Absolutely. I sometimes even delete emails I want to read. <laughs> And then you got to go back in the the you gotta box. You got to go get
2: it out of the out of the deleted box. Yes.
1: Oh damn it! Why did I delete that one? You know. <laughs> but uh, so if direct mail is coming back, what what else is a good marketing uh, tool for new entrepreneurial businesses?
2: Well, first they have to understand who their niche is, and again, we find that they haven't identified a niche. It's uh, often one of the first questions that I ask is, who are your target customers? And the amazing answer is everybody. Everybody's my target. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing that anybody's ever been able to tell me that appeals to everybody. Mm -hmm. If I were to stand on the corner and hand out $100 bills, there would be people who would not take them for lots of reasons. Some would think they're counterfeit. Some would think there's a scam involved. Mm-hmm. Some might even think I'm a pervert, but they wouldn't take the $100 bills. So there's nothing you can do for everybody. So you have to really begin to identify who is my target marketplace. And then you have to say, now, what are the tools that really help me work with that particular target marketplace?
1: Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people fail because they failed too. ID the marketplace, and then take the proper steps to touch 100% of the desirable opportunities. Right. I mean, that, that's so funny. We had uh, a fellow here in class today, and we're actually, uh, it, was, it was a surge class where we actually make cold calls. And he called someone that he didn't know was a registered account user of his company.
2: <laughs> Pretty embarrassing, huh?
1: And, and the guy who was the registered user and had an account but not active, didn't know the name of his salesman. The salesman calls him, and the guy says, Why don't you come over at 10 a.m. to see me to sell me something?
2: <laughs> Pretty <laughs> he, fortuitous.
1: He never would have made the call had he not been in class. Pretty fortuitous. Because he's got thousands of accounts that he's got to worry about. And he just never spoken to this guy. John, we're going to take a uh, another short break here. We're going to listen to San Rule number twenty three. And after the break, we'll be right back.
3: This is Pete Brown with Sandler Training, and I'm here to speak with you about rule number 23. The way to get rid of a bomb is diffuse it before it blows up. Have you or your organization ever lost a sale because of a problem you could have dealt with earlier in the sales process? Sadly today, millions of salespeople and sales organizations are sitting on bombs and they don't have to. Why deal with that anxiety? If you have a problem or a situation potentially with one of your services or one of your offerings, you need to bring that up before the prospect does in your sales process. Let's think of an example, local delivery. If I knew that I was talking to a prospect that I thought local delivery would be a need they would have and I didn't offer it, how would I address that, and more importantly, when would I want to? After we'd consummated the sale, only to find out that we couldn't deliver on time? Of course not. That's anxiety. Let's take the stress out and address that earlier. How about an example of that? If we were in role play, Bill, local service is something that very often in this market is asked for, and we don't provide it. Is that going to be a problem? Bill would come back most likely and say, Pete, it is. And I would say, makes sense. So, Bill, should we talk about that now to make sure that if that is going to be an issue, we deal with it because it might not be a fit? Pete, we should. Bill, get started. Simple role play, but the example is let's get that out and diffuse it early because by doing anything other than that, the truth is we are not being professional, and certainly within Sandler's world, we're not being buyer-centric. Because think of the benefits. The benefits. First and foremost, you're more relaxed. That 800-pound gorilla is off your chest. Secondly, you can determine along with that prospect very early if you're going to continue to invest time in the selling process because if you need local service and they don't have it, as that example alluded, you're done. No pain, no sale. And then finally, third, whether you realize it or not, that prospect will look at you very differently than the other salespeople or sales leaders that they encountered because you were willing to be professional and defuse that bomb early. Why don't we defuse the bomb? Well sales leaders you need to look in the mirror as you coach your teams and recognize there's two fears going on if that is not happening. The fear of losing a sale or the fear of dealing with the rejection which is a comfort zone issue. As leaders you need to help your organizations deal with both of these fears but think about it. How can you go about changing this behavior when historically it's not been practiced. So my suggestion would be think of three potential bombs that you would need to diffuse in the process. It could be creditworthiness, it could be financing, it could be local service, it could be delivery, it could be pricing. And then develop three questions around each of those bombs to be able to address early in your sales process with the prospect and then ask those questions early. You can't lose what you don't have. Remember Rule 23. The way to get rid of a bomb is to diffuse it before it blows up. This is Pete Brown with Sandler Training. Good selling.
1: This is Mike Roth with John Melvin. Uh, John, one of uh, our favorite business theses is that Simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong. Therefore, if you want to solve a complex problem, you need a complex solution. I like to ask our guests if they could share with uh, our audience or the CEOs a complex problem that they developed a equally complex solution to solve that might be applicable to a, another line of business.
2: Well, not naming names because everything we do is confidential. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most challenging problems is in a family-owned business when the current owners see their children either already in the business or coming into the business and wanting on one level for those children to eventually take over the business and run it, but At the same time, the current owners are still vibrant and connected into the business, and yet the children want more responsibility, want more opportunity, want to have more input into decisions. And getting that family dynamic all worked through is is a real and very complex issue that exists day-to-day for many, many, many small businesses.
1: So could you uh, share with our audience a, uh equally complex solution to that problem of family succession?
2: Well, a lot of it comes back, first of all, to getting everybody into a room and sitting down and talking about direction and where do they want to go and where do they see the company. A lot of it has to do with learning to listen to each other and sometimes in a family dynamic we don't remember to listen uh to our children or to our parents and we think the children are not yet ready and so there, you have to you have to begin to work on changing the culture and that usually takes time and it takes a concentrated effort one of the Nice things here in Cincinnati is that we have the Gehring Center. It's part of UC, and it focuses on training for family-owned businesses. And that can be a year or two-year process. And even with that, along the way, the let's say one of the children has decided they really don't want to go into business. They've uh, figured out that it's uh, not their cup of tea, even though it uh, worked for uh, their parents, and maybe for one of their siblings. And yet they don't want to disappoint their parents. So it's it's a lot of uh, questioning and listening and communicating and getting everybody to do the same.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting. One of the solutions that I've seen in uh, that kind of family business, where it fits, is to hire an outside CEO.
2: Can be. Very much can be
1: and therefore the family members can slot into whatever organizational unit slots uh they feel comfortable in even if they're not either capable or ready to be that CEO
2: well you know it's it's really interesting if you bring in financing as part of the issue as well because quite often the uh, bank or the venture capitalist or the angel investor will actually insist on that outside CEO coming in uh, because they recognize what the problems are and recognize that without that, their money is is way too much at risk.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot
1: of people were uh, worried for the election and said businesses were holding back. But now the election is over and we know the direction. And We're not sure whether the country will go over the fiscal cliff or not. Do you think these things are holding back business decisions?
2: Oh, absolutely. I, As I said earlier, uncertainty is still a big issue. So when we look at the fiscal cliff, that's one of the most current uncertainties. The next one that everybody is going to be paying attention to right after the first of the year is what's going to happen with the uh, so-called Obamacare or, or Affordable Health Care Act, and how is that going to impact my business, my employees, so there's uncertainty attached to that. There's uncertainty attached to the energy policies, and what are we going to do about the whole variety of issues that uh, sit out there? Uh, And until some of those things are clear, and in many cases, it doesn't matter tremendously what the answer is as long as there is a clear answer. Mm-hmm. But until those things are are resolved, there are going to be a lot of businesses sitting and waiting, and kind of treading water.
1: Mm-hmm. But if you at, at the starting line, uh, sit and wait till after the bell is rung and the gates are open and other horses are running, you're going to lose market.
2: Oh, training. absolutely, absolutely. It's a it's a uh, it's a trick because not all your competitors are waiting, and today your competitors are not the guys across the street they may be the guys in china or in uh afghanistan or south america or vietnam england or vietnam or wherever so uh, and and of course again we come back to you have to recognize that and not always well you just can't always afford to play it safe and wait until wait until everything's certain
1: yeah uh, john did you read the the book, uh, the world is flat. Yes. Good. Premise of the book was
2: that we're six degrees removed from all of our people across the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, my thesis is that we're one half of one degree removed from everyone else, <laughs> and maybe it's even closer here in Cincinnati. Uh, but all these businesses are interrelated. Uh, you can't you can't wait to act if if you wait to hire that next employee whether it's a chief financial officer or a chief marketing officer or or great next salesperson if you wait they're gone
2: well that's absolutely true the talent is is spread thin mm-hmm. it's already coalescing toward the uh two coasts and so if you are in the Cincinnati marketplace the Dayton marketplace and you're needing good talent, you better grab it when it's there because there's no assurance that it'll be there tomorrow.
1: Yeah, i just tell a fast story. One of my clients worked for an overseas complex software company, and that complex software company bought another company, and so they downgraded the position of this guy who was an excellent salesperson, uh, caused his... Earnings to go down or the number of sales he had to make in a year to go up by over 50%. And so he was unhappy. Was he putting his resume on the, online on Monster or Career CareerBuilder? No. Spoke to a couple of close friends. Took less than three months. He found an English conglomerate selling an equally complex software in an aligned business. Uh, that gave him a job offer for $20,000 more salary. And he was making plus a better commission plan.
2: He yeah. probably didn't have to move.
1: Oh yeah, he had to move his office from his second bedroom to Blue Ash. <laughs> uh, pretty pretty acceptable offer. Absolutely. And good people are seeing that happen. That the resumes don't stay out on the street uh, extremely long at all. Um, because I I think that companies are hiring good people. Uh then I, I think
2: the smart companies are hiring good people,
1: mhm, because they're they're available well, I also
2: think that the other thing that smart companies are always doing, and that is culling their weakest out and adding it uh, strength at the top, mhm and not allowing their weakest links to hold them back
1: uh, yeah, I was talking to uh someone who left one of the large publicly held companies uh, in Cincinnati like that. And he was wondering why the people uh, at the top at the, in, their, in their 60s and people in their 20s were still retained and why so many were let go in their early 40s.
2: You need to be culling out your weak employees. And believe it or not, you need to be culling out your weak customers. And that's some of the hardest decisions that a business can make to recognize that 20% of their customers are taking money out of their pocket and 60% of their customers are putting money in their pocket and need more love.
1: Uh, I understand what you're saying. That's the Pareto principle. I'm always afraid of that one. it's too general. Uh, I think that you have to look at your, your customers and the ones that are no longer desirable. I think that desirability is the...
2: Well, that's right. ...is
1: the key issue. Uh, I was talking to a guy who has two customers, two clients, that represent over 60% of this uh, $30 million a year company. And could either one of them go away? Yes. One has a great profit margin, and the other one has a terrible profit margin. And... They can't fire the one with the terrible profit margin,
2: but they should be figuring out where to get more business so that they're not as exposed to either one of them.
1: Well, that's why we're putting more salespeople on, and we have to change the duration of salesperson uh, life in that company from three or four years to seven or eight years. Makes a really big difference in developing key well, accounts. Absolutely, you can't afford to flip a account. A, in fact, one of the first prospects I called on in Cincinnati. Uh, told me that uh, she kept her salespeople for three or four years and then flipped them. And I, <laughs> I looked at the woman and I said, you know, I don't think uh, you and I are on the same wavelength about developing your people and transforming your company. Because so she was perfectly happy with, with making that that decision and justifying it with uh, younger people's lifestyles. And I said, yeah, that, that's good. It's for you, not.
2: Well, there are companies that view themselves as uh, training companies, and their strategy is to keep their expenses low by keeping their least experienced people, and when you get more experience, uh, shuffle you on down the road, and and keep your um, keep your expenses under control at all times. It's a strategy. I'm not saying it's a strategy that I favor. But there are some out there that operate that way.
1: Right. I don't think that's a healthy strategy. You know, it's better to grow companies, grow margins, grow sales, uh, develop new markets. Mm-hmm. Um, but to in- intentionally put people on the treadmill is the wrong thing to do in, the, in today's marketplace. I don't think you can get away with the law. Um, some companies have developed uh, dual reputations. Reputation as being a growing, dynamic company. And the other reputation is probably the worst place in the world you ever want to work.
2: (laughs) Well, if if the worst is because they're tough on you, then that's not the worst. Um, If the worst is because of how they treat you and don't treat you as as, uh, credible human beings, then that's terrible. But uh, the company that expects more out of its employees and out of itself usually gets more out of its employees and out of itself.
3: Hmm.
1: Some do. Some don't. Uh, we've had the experience here of having to uh, fire customers. Never a pleasant uh, experience, but when there's not a good fit or match.
2: Right. I mean, nobody wants to fire employees, or at least nobody that is is really a human being wants to fire employees. Um, but you also have an obligation if you have Uh, 100 employees, you have an obligation to the whole of the 100, and you can't uh, allow one or two of the uh, 100 to hurt the the other 98, that's a bad strategy, and that's a lack of uh, leadership and a lack of of good management.
1: Mm -hmm. But you need to have a strategy that is going to encourage excellence, in in all of the employees and they should know what their goals are right. and know what the guidelines are that they can't cross uh, otherwise they're not on the ship. Uh, we have a philosophy here at Sandler of uh, hire slowly and terminate rapidly. In fact, tell people at, at start as part of the onboarding process and part of the interviewing process what's it going to take to get fired because if they know up front then there's no surprise on the back end if they're not towing the mark all-
2: uh if you understand what your expectations are and you know that the company is going to be consistent in how they apply their guidelines, then it's a great place to work.
1: Good. John, we're going to take a uh, another break here, and we'll be back in about two minutes. When you hear about a typical sales training program, does it usually involve a one- or two-day seminar where some alleged guru passes down what he claims are the secrets to making sales? At Roth Associates, I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. We recognize that truisms and motivating speeches aren't enough to arm sales teams with the tools they need for success. Sales is a hard business. Typical sales training can only provide typical and disappointing results. At Roth Associates, we use the Sandler methodology of continual reinforcement and ongoing training seminars, along with individual coaching to ensure victory in the world of sales. We've been doing it here in Cincinnati for over 15 years. You won't fail because I won't let you. Roth & Associates, 513-646-6523. 513-646-6523. On the web at RothConsulting.net. Finding power in reinforcement. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. If you're a salesperson or a company owner, my message is critical for you. Today, I want to talk to you about the real secret of getting out of debt. Earn more money! Most salespeople and owners want to sell more at a higher price with better margins, but don't know how. I've helped hundreds of people and companies grow over 30% per year by making an investment in themselves. Albert Einstein said, Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I teach my clients new and different strategies, tactics, and behaviors that get dramatic results. I'm not for everyone. I'm tough, expensive, abrasive, and not politically correct. But if you want results, we need to talk. Call me at 513 646 6523. Give me your toughest questions. Then, if you qualify, I'll invite you in for a free meeting. 513 646 6523. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with John Melvin with the Small Business Development Center. John, let me ask you this question. Maybe, you know, you've been in management for a lot of years yourself. Yes. Helping business leaders. Maybe you can think of the most important leadership tip you can give to the CEO leaders who are listening to the programming.
2: In my experience, good leaders are great communicators. You communicate to your customers. You communicate to your employees you create to your board or your shareholders, you create to your bankers and mentors and advisors, and a big chunk of that communication is that you listen. And so I firmly believe that leaders are communicators who have great listening skills and the patience to communicate effectively.
1: That's good. We've heard from a couple of people that uh, listening is is critical. Communication, though, is is new in saying it that way. Uh, Many years ago in my career, I worked for a fellow named Bill von Meister. Probably never heard of him. He was in the uh, Washington, D.C. area. He created several companies. Uh, Bill was a magnetic communicator. He could get people to buy new ideas. In fact, I worked for him. I think he had five companies in three years. His strategy was to build the company closely paralleling somebody else and get that bigger someone else to buy them out to get rid of them. (laughs) It was a phenomenal strategy.
2: Well, when I was in the service and arrived on one of my first duty assignments in Texas, there was a full bird colonel in charge. And he came in every day, walked through the shop, sat in his office with the door closed. By the way, what does full bird mean? Well, you can either be a a colonel or a lieutenant colonel. So if they're wearing an eagle on their shoulder, then they're a full bird. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, he would walk through every day and sit in his office, and he would get his two captains and one major and a couple of lieutenants in and talked to them, and then everything flowed out from them. About seven months into my time in the office, the inspector general team came in, which is a routine inside of the service, and the inspector general team went through a three-day on-site audit of uh, processes and procedures and performance. And um, when they came out with their report, the, lieutenant, or the bird colonel was relieved on the spot, uh, was, uh, was retired, and a woman lieutenant colonel came in as the new commanding officer. And the first thing she did was bring everybody in the shop to a meeting and, and said, this is who I am, this is what we're going to do. And then she spent the next two weeks talking to everybody who worked there. And and from that point on, we had great communications. A year later, the inspector general team came in. We awarded a unit citation. And within two years, she had a star on her shoulder, and she was the first general, in the, uh, first woman general in the Air Force to actually command a major Air Force base.
1: it's hmm. a great story. Uh, it reminds me of a, a client uh, that we've had on the uh, on the show, and they're in, in, in their business. Uh, they moved into a, a new facility recently, and although there were a couple of private offices, everyone in the company sits in this gigantic bullpen, including the two owners, and their growth rate has been just phenomenal.
2: I think a, a great manager learns to lead by walking around, And you you can't get stuck in your office if you have one. You go out and you walk around to all the different floors and people in the company, and you see how things are going. And then you uh, personally interact with some customers. And then you go home at night and you pick up the phone and you call the company and see how they answer the telephone. It's your own company. And you sit on the other side of the desk and you see how how the customer is being treated.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we – We had a a similar discussion this morning. One of the prospects that was called during our uh, surge uh, said to the salesperson, I've called your company on several occasions and no one answers the phone. And what number did he call? He called the company's 800 number. He was in Brooklyn, New York. The company was located on the West Coast. (laughs) <laughs> the CEO had uh, stopped call forwarding to save money. <laughs> in the meantime, he was uh upsetting, frustrating and angering prospective customers who wanted to call in orders during their business hours, but they weren't the business hours of the the company. Uh so understanding what's happening in your company is critical walking around is important. Uh, These two business owners uh, do something I call leading by example. If their people are supposed to be making cold calls, their people can see and hear these two owners doing exactly that. Leading by example. You know, I'm going to be the first one in the charge. Uh, I just think that's a critical piece.
2: That's leadership.
1: That's part of leadership. It's not entirely leadership, but it's, it's a significant part if, you, if you're going to motivate your troops uh, as opposed to the other CEO hides in his office in Las Vegas and wonders why the troops in Indiana aren't up to par.
2: Well, and if you uh, use the philosophy, don't do as I do, but do as I say, that's hard for anybody to step up and follow.
1: Mm-hmm. Here at Sandler, we have kind of a uh, an unwritten rule if you want to train your sales team as a, as, and you have a small company, uh, the CEO himself is going to be part of training for at least the first eight weeks. If he doesn't want to play, I'm not sure I really want to take him on as a client because six months down the road or a year down the road, we're going to have a complaint that it's not working. The guy on the top has to be in the know what's going on and has to reinforce the right things.
2: I agree with that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, John, uh, as we wrap up here, maybe you can uh, tell a success story, maybe one of the bigger success stories that you've had at S- Small Business Development
2: Center, without using names. To- well, it's an interesting question because, as I said earlier, the goal for the Small Business Administration is creating jobs. Mm-hmm. So I have a client that I worked with, starting about 10 years ago, and when I started working with them, they had 20 employees, and today they have 1,700. So the SBA would say that's my biggest success.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. I would say that I have a client that I started working with three years ago, about this time of year, had just been let go after 20 years of uh, a relatively menial job. Um, and at the most, at that point in time, and we're just talking about three years ago, so he was making $19,000. Mm-hmm. Not highly educated. And he was looking for what's what's the next thing that's going to happen for me because uh, in his mid-50s, people weren't going to hire him. So... Mm-hmm. I helped him get his business started. His business was out of his garage. And three, excuse me, one year later, he came back in with his wife, sat across from me. And with tears coming down their their cheeks, he explained that he was going to make $42,000 in his first year working out of his garage. And he said, John, the best part is I can get up at 5 in the morning and go work on my projects and I can leave at 3 in the afternoon to go see my grandson play soccer. Wow. In my mind, that's just as big a success as the 1,700 jobs.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a personal success story. Absolutely. And we've all had them. John, we're going to uh, wrap up here unless you have any other comments. You... Oh, what we forgot to do, John, we, we should do it now before we wrap up, is tell people how they can get a hold of you after the show.
2: I was going to ask you about that. You certainly can find us in several places, but my direct line is 513-576-5007. You can also find us at www.clermontchamber.com. Or you can even email me at john, J-O-H-N, dot melvin, M-E-L-V-I-N, at clermontchamber.com. And I would say, I can work with anyone from anywhere as long as it is a for-profit business. It is a free service. We are we do have other services in the area. In Greater Cincinnati at the Urban League, in Butler County at BizTech, and on, as of January the 7th in Warren County at the newly formed Business Alliance. But if uh, someone from one of those areas Wants to get a hold of those and can't find them, just give me a call or send me an email.
1: Great. John, I want to thank you for being on the show with us today. I'm going to give you a copy of uh, the first publicly published Sandler book. You can't teach you kid to ride a bike at a seminar right there next to you. And uh, don't ever let anyone tell you it's an original Sandler autographed copy. <laughs> he died a week before the uh, first book was published. So...
2: So I can't take it to uh, Las Vegas and sell it at uh, the pawn shop out there and make uh, money off of original signatures.
1: You know, it's it's funny the the original printing that and that one up there on the on the counter with the the little girl on the bicycle uh, was one of the original uh, first editions uh, that has my picture on it. <laughs> Santa let me do that, and uh, I had to buy that one back. From a client. <laughs> uh, but the the original editions are going for about 80 or $90 on, uh, on eBay today because there weren't just, Sandler didn't believe that people would want to buy that book. <laughs> but I think more than 20,000 of those things have been sold.
2: Well, very good. I appreciate
1: fifth it. printing. Thanks again for being with us, John. And uh, Scott, why don't you take it away and close the program?
0: Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.